Well, we are uh, considering, again, pride's invasion into the nuclear family today. (laughs) Last Sunday, we looked at pride and marriage and how pride can creep into those marital relationships. And also, uh, we recognize today that pride can creep into the relationships that parents have with their children. We are going to be looking at this from the angle of parenting, which could actually be, it could be said, shepherding today. Um, And this is primarily for parents, hence the title, but it's not just for for parents. Uh, For grandparents, I think this is quite applicable. It's not just parents of young children, but parents of older children. Any of us who interact with children, I think, and this is applicable for, and at the end of the day, I guess, We're all children of somebody too, right? And so we'll be looking at the child's role in the middle of all this. Uh, So we're going to consider it from all these different angles. I want to open up with a quote, though, from Ted Tripp. He (laughs) wrote the book on parenting, so to speak. He wrote this book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Okay, If you want a book on parenting, that's where you should start. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Ted with two Ds, Tripp with two Ps. (laughs) And I'm going to quote him a few times this morning. But uh, now I'm going to quote him. Uh, Listen to this overarching idea he gives for parenting. Speaking to parents, God has called you to a more profound task than being only a care provider. You shepherd your child in God's behalf. It is a pervasive task. Training and shepherding are going on whenever you are with your children. Whether waking, walking, talking, or resting, you must be involved in helping your child understand life, himself, and his needs from a biblical perspective. That's a good summary of what parenting is from Scripture. Well, let's uh, spend a moment in prayer before we get into the Word of God. Let's pray. God, we ask your blessing on this time of study. We ask your help as we seek to understand how to humbly, graciously, lovingly, care for these children that are in our lives. God, these are your children, and we are stewards of your grace, stewards of your love. And we ask that today you would bless this time and anoint me to preach, though I am a sinner by nature and by choice. Lord, that you would make your word clear to your people, that I would not get in the way, but that your people would hear from you and make application to their lives because of your work in them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn with me to Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and see if you can find verse 18. That's where we'll begin. This is an interesting passage for a message like this, but uh, it does speak to parenting. It speaks to the role of parents and to the role of children, and we have to understand what is right first. Let's make sure we have a good grip on what is right the way God has designed the family to work before we look at the ways that that pride can creep in and ruin it. Deuteronomy 21, and we're going to be starting at verse 18, just reading a few verses here. Deuteronomy 21, 18. It says, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, 
This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. You have many thoughts on this passage, no doubt. (laughs) There are many things floating through that head of yours right now. Uh, We have however many people are in here, that's how many sermons we have going on in people's heads right now. And I'm not starting with this passage, or we're actually going to be dwelling on this passage for quite some time. I'm not doing that merely to raise eyebrows. Now, that is part of the plan here, you see, uh, is to raise eyebrows. But that's not the only reason. This is a very important passage as it pertains to family relationships. As we consider the role of parents, the role of children, and how God has designed all of this to work. So I want us to look at the roles of children and parents, starting with the children. So if there was ever a time for children to listen to a sermon, now's the time. Okay, so making sure we're, we're braced. Well, children here, we see in this passage and in various portions of Scripture, children are charged to listen and to obey. They are charged to listen to their parents and to obey their parents. And in Moses, you don't see too much of a distinction between listening and obeying. When he talks to Israel and tells them, listen, he means obey. And when he calls people to obey, he calls them to listen. I think a lot of us would probably do well to adapt the Hebrew understanding of those words, that they're one and the same. To truly listen is to act in accordance with what you're hearing, what you're listening to. Well, God is clear throughout Scripture that children should obey and honor their parents. Perhaps most famously in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verse 12, we see, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. One of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are repeated. That word Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's the second time over. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, we see the command repeated, a little more wordy this time. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. So this is conditional blessing for Israel. Conditional prosperity. You see this? There's a promise attached to it. It will go well with you in the land. Your days will be prolonged in the land if, if you honor your father and mother, which means what? Well, to listen, to obey. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, look how this book starts. Proverbs 1.8, Solomon says, hear my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. This is the way God has designed it to work. Fathers and mothers are to speak into the lives of their children, and children are to listen, to obey. And in Proverbs 23, 22, it was put this way. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. (laughs) So all the way through old age, children are in a position of listening to their parents. Children are to listen to their parents and obey. This isn't just in the Old Testament, of course. This is a charge that is repeated in the New Testament. The passage that Tyler opened with for the service, Ephesians 6, the first three verses of Ephesians 6, look at what Paul writes to this church again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, when children memorize that verse, you need to make sure they memorize the whole thing. It's not just children obey your parents. It's obey your parents. Why? This is right, for this is right. Okay, verse 2. 
honor your father and mother, quoting the Ten Commandments. He says, parenthetically, it's the first commandment with a promise. Interesting. In verse 3, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There was that promise attached to this command. Honor your mother and your father and it will go well with you in the land. There's a promise attached. And for children, this is the primary command. (laughs) This is the first command for a child, in a sense. It's primary. A child's top priority is to hearken to the godly counsel of his father or his mother. So children, look up here. If you uh, live at home with mom and dad, look up here. Look up here. There are very, very few things in life that you're responsible for right now. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Savor it, okay? Enjoy it. Your top priority in life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to listen to your mom and dad and obey. This is what's right. This is what God has said is right. So life is a little bit simple right now. And God designed it that way for you, for you to flourish, to grow, to be cared for. Your top priority is to listen to the godly teaching of your mom and dad. That's your top priority. Well, rejecting the admonition of listening to mother and father, obeying mother and father, is stubbornness or rebellion. Look down at our text here today, verse 18, Deuteronomy 21, 18. Look how the child is characterized. (laughs) Stubborn and rebellious. That's what you are if you do not listen to your parents. And this leads to death. A sinful attitude towards mother and father leads to death. A godly attitude to honor mother and father, the command says, your days will be prolonged. Well, what's the end of this passage in just four short verses? It's death for that child. He's stoned by his own community. Well, this is not cute behavior, this rebellion. It's sin. We can oftentimes get confused about what certain behaviors are, and that which is sinful appears to be cute or funny. Not too many people are laughing in this passage in Deuteronomy 21, are they? That's serious business. Drunkenness and gluttony are listed as examples, not of something humorous, but of something that's evil. And I should mention that because we are talking about drunkenness and gluttony as examples here in verse 20, the end of verse 20, we can safely deduce that it's not likely that diaper wearers are in mind here, that uh, Moses doesn't have in mind children that can't walk yet or something like that. We're talking about older children with this type of behavior. But the grave reality of all of this is that it's worthy of death. You see how it ends in verse 21. The men of the city are going to stone the child. The evil is going to be purged. Well, this is one of the most famous punishment laws in the Old Testament, and perhaps some of you upon reading it, certainly for the first time, but maybe even this morning if it's your second, third, or who knows how many times, your response is, seriously? (laughs) Really? Wow. A natural question that would follow that is, how could any children survive? (laughs) Wow. Uh, You know yourself and what you were like, right? Think back to your teen years, for instance. You sinned, didn't you? You were stubborn and rebellious a little bit, weren't you? Wow. Well, I think we can also safely deduce that there is extreme, persistent, extreme behavior in view here, too. 
not just imperfection. Because if every imperfect child was stoned in Israel, there would be no next generation of parents, right? That would eliminate all the children. So let's have that balanced view of what's going on here. But let's also consider, again, look at verse 21. God says, you shall remove the evil from your midst. God is calling not just the behavior of the child, but the child evil. This evil behavior is evidence of what? An evil heart. And evil is to be purged from Israel, God says. Wow. Wow. Well, another natural question that follows is, what about today? (laughs) What does that mean for us today? We haven't had one of these ceremonies lately, have we? After a potluck, we all go out and stone one of the children. That hasn't happened. (laughs) Praise God for that. Well, let's consider some of the factors at play as we think about the application of this for today. Well, first of all, the rejection of authority is still sin. Okay? The nature of the sin hasn't changed. The behavior is still sinful. Rege- rebelling against God-given authority, rejecting God-given authority, that is still sinful. Ephesians 6 that we just looked at. Children, obey your parents. This is right. That means disobeying your parents is, say it with me, wrong, okay? Or sinful or whatever you want to say. So we recognize that that sin still exists. In Romans chapter 13, this is about government, but it applies to children with their parents. Romans chapter 13, verse 2, Paul writes, Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So opposing God's structure of authority in your life, opposing the design that God has given you, whether we're talking about government or talking about parents, well, that's still sin. And we'll talk about the parents in a moment, so let's just latch on to that for the time being. Now, the capital punishment that we see in Deuteronomy 21, this capital punishment was specific to that theocracy. (laughs) That was specific to Israel. That is not a a punishment that carries over into the New Testament. That's not a punishment that the church is called to inflict upon stubborn and rebellious sons and daughters. Yet we want to make sure that we recognize that all the principles at play do continue. Just because the punishment has ceased, that doesn't mean the principles too have ceased. There are principles at play here that obviously continue into the church. Well, let's talk about the parents for a moment. We need to see the obligation for parents here too, not just the obligation for children. As children were called to listen and uh, to obey their parents, the parents are called to lead and discipline their children. The parents are charged to lead and discipline their children. Parents are to issue teaching worthy of obedience. Okay, now this is where Perhaps in the previous section, you were starting to say some things in your mind. Well, what about this? What about that? This should eliminate some of those. Parents are to issue teaching in their home that is worthy of obedience. For a very simple example, right from our passage, we see that this child is being disobedient by way of being a glutton and a drunkard. Again, you see that at the end of verse 20. Well, in a very, very, very basic elementary sense, that means parents are not to encourage gluttony or drunkenness. He's being stoned for that type of behavior. 
So parents are to teach godly instruction, which would preclude some behaviors. A parent issuing to a child, well, become a glutton, become a drunkard. That is not teaching worthy of obedience, and a child should not obey a parent in such a situation. Because a child should not submit to a parent's sinful desires, but instead submit to godly instruction. Now, in Moses' day, of course, this meant teaching them the law. Moses wrote these first five books of the Bible. There's a lot to see in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they were to, the children were to learn from the law through their parents. And today, we point children to Jesus Christ, don't we? Today, if you're thinking about what, what kind of godly instruction should we issue to our children, well, it should start with the person and work of Jesus Christ. We point our children to Jesus and then lead them into all the Scriptures in great love. We want them to see all that God has for them in the Bible. And this is basic godly leadership that we owe our children. We are obligated as God's stewards when we interact with these children He's placed in our lives, we owe them godly instruction. If you've come to know the Lord, if you want to serve Him, well, we should start at home, right? And at home, we seek to lead our children our spouses, into truth by grace. So parents are to issue teaching worthy of, of, of obedience, but also we see that upon persistent, unrepentant rebellion, parents are responsible to act. Upon persistent, unrepentant rebellion, parents must act. Parents are to be engaged in disciplining their children just as God directed, all, all the way through. Parents are called to engage their children in their behavior and correct their children toward godliness. And this includes getting the community involved. Look at verse 19 with me again of our passage. It says, Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. This wasn't handled in a vacuum. Parents weren't to kill their children at home. We know how tempting that's been for some of you, right? They're not called to do that, but they're called to bring the child to the community, and the community as a whole purges the evil from the community. That's pretty intense stuff. That's very serious. Well, here's something for you to latch on to. Parents are called here to consider the holiness of God's family more important than the feelings of their own family. This is tough. This is difficult. Parents are called to consider the holiness of God's family as more important than the feelings of their own family. When those two things conflict, our family of the flesh and the holiness of God, we have to support the holiness of God, don't we? We have to adhere to the holiness of God. We have to pursue and uplift and exalt the holiness of God. The parents and the community here are expected to confront sinful living. Again, though the punishment doesn't carry over, the principle remains. Parents and God's community together are to confront sinful living, sinful behavior. And as God's church, this is a difficult endeavor for us, isn't it? It's very, very difficult. 
Because we are called to imitate Jesus Christ, who was full of both grace and truth. And a church community should reflect both grace and truth. So often we want to err to one side or the other. Just this week I was in a, a coffee shop in Provo, a really cool hipster coffee shop. And uh, there's just no truth in that place. I mean, I like being there. It was, it was relaxing and the music was good, but no truth. You go use the bathroom and someone's put up a little sticker on the mirror and it says, you're beautiful. Okay. Uh, you, I remember I was walking out and right by the door, thanks, we love you. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Especially if you knew my beliefs in that coffee shop, right? You wouldn't love me. That is truthless grace. Churches and families aren't to have that, okay? But then we also know graceless truth, don't we? You been to a post office lately <laughs> or a DMV? <laughs> there are nice postal workers, so I uh, don't want to offend any postal workers, but, you know, you, it's just cold, harsh environment, rules, lots and lots of rules, and you're nervous. Did I remember everything I need to bring, and did I do everything I need to do to be successful here? And there's not a lot of grace. It's all about rules. Well, a church isn't to be a post office either <laughs> or a DMV. We have to have grace and truth. We look to Christ who embodied grace and truth perfectly and we pursue the Christ life for our church community, never compromising one or the other, though so often it seems to us, well, it's got to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be. And so we ask God for wisdom. So how do we do this as the new covenant community commissioned with relating to one another with grace and truth? Well, we want to parent with God's heart. We want to seek parenting with God's heart. Because the fact of the matter is, pride prevents parents from fulfilling their duty as grace-filled authorities in their children's lives. Pride prevents parents from fulfilling their duty as grace-filled authorities over their children. And I want to mention two basic pitfalls. These are pride pitfalls to avoid, okay? There are two basic ones. Pitfall number one is man-centered instruction that is not worthy of obedience. I touched on this a moment ago. Man-centered instruction that is not worthy of obedience. Some of you know what that's like. You grew up in households where you grew up under very man-centered instruction that was not worthy of obedience. There are many examples. But I see there being two ways of looking at this. So as you think about pitfall number one, there are essentially two compartments we'll look at within this pitfall. Number one is the content of the teaching. When the content of the teaching is more about the flesh than about God, well, this is man-centered instruction. When the content of the teaching is more about the flesh than about God, this is unhelpful, oftentimes extra-biblical codes of law for a household that are aimed at gaining more control for the parents. You ever been around a controlling parent? You ever been a controlling parent? <laughs> Unhelpful, extra-biblical codes and laws to gain more control over the child. You could call this legalism, right? Legalism that ends up actually pushing children farther away from the God of grace. He's not the God of legalism, so what's legalism going to do? <laughs> not bring children into the God of grace. This, of course, flows from pragmatism when a prideful parent imposes unhelpful laws over their children 
It's because pragmatically that parent wants more control over the child. And it doesn't have to be necessarily extra-biblical laws. There's this phenomenon, you can call it moralism, where, ch- where parents are just all about their children's behavior. And the, the behavior they want is even good. But it's gone about in a totally wrong way. When our children were very little, it was either when shortly after Jackson was born or shortly after Matthias was born, we were given a, a book by some well-meaning friends uh, for the child. I don't know if it was our first son or second son. But the book was about what a godly boy is. And, and you flip through and it says, well, a godly boy doesn't lie, he tells the truth. A godly boy doesn't get angry. Okay, a godly boy is kind and patient. A godly boy is not stubborn or rebellious, you could say, uh, Deuteronomy 21. Not a glutton or a drunkard. <laughs> it didn't say that one. Uh, but you just go through and what a godly boy is. There wasn't one page about believing the gospel. There wasn't a page about how a sinful boy becomes a godly boy. Or the power that works through that redeemed sinner to bring about godliness. That's what moralism is. That's what unhelpful pressuring of children is. It doesn't go for the heart. And as parents, or as anybody who interacts with a child, you got to know and understand we're talking about the heart here, aren't we? We're not talking about the fruit of a child's behavior. We're talking about the root that needs to change. And so the content of the teaching can't just be rules, 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 rules. doesn't work. might work for a while, but that is not a permanent solution. Well, another way that the content of the teaching can show man-centered instruction instead of godly instruction is when you see the parents' passions and priorities for the children flowing from the flesh. This happens in the realm of education. The priority for the child is to get a good education. My priority for my child is that he's on the honor roll. (laughs) I hope that wasn't my parents' priority because, uh, well, (laughs) miss that one. Or sports, the God of sports. The priority for my child is that he or she's going to grow up to be a professional athlete or even a career, pressuring a child based on your own desires. Your flesh saying this is what a child should be. In America, of course, we see lots with the sports, but in Asian communities, education and careers, there is so much pressure put on children by their parents because that's the priority. Not serving Jesus while doing those things necessarily. He, I don't care what career he ends up in, as long as he's loving the Lord and serving the Lord. No, not that, not that view. We're talking about you will be this. Ungodly passion, ungodly priority for your child. A second way that we see man-centered instruction show up from a prideful heart is the manner of instruction. So not just the content of the instruction, but the manner of instruction. Turning children away needlessly. Ephesians 6.4, this is again what Tyler read at the start. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now that's quite a phrase. This is having to do with the manner of instruction. This father could be teaching all kinds of good things, truthful things. But the manner of teaching is such a way that it's provoking the child to anger, and the father is told, do not do that. That is flesh-driven, man-centered instruction. Even if the content was okay, the manner was wicked. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline 
and the instruction of the Lord. We provoke our children to anger when we get angry, don't we? When it becomes much more about offending us than it's about offending God. How could you do that to me? A parent might say. Well, the child needs to understand he or she sinned against God. When it becomes more about us, we tend to react in kind, don't we? From a prideful heart. Very prideful heart. This is cold and harsh leadership. This is playing God instead of showing God to the children. And this stems from our nature, doesn't it? This is a deed of the flesh. Last week we discussed in a marriage when we default to the old man, to the, to the lusts of the flesh, what do we do? We give our spouse a works-based gospel. If you obey me, I'll be pleasant with you. We all do it, so, you know, you can accept that we're, we're all prone to doing that. That is not the way it should be. And we do the same thing with our children. You should not be offending me. So as long as you obey me, we're good. But if, if you offend me, I'm going to make your life harder. I grew up with that. That does not reflect the gospel. That's not grace. That's not showing God's heart, is it? So often this is anger-driven. It's manipulating performance out of your child instead of seeing true fruit come from a changed heart. Using the anger of man to manipulate the performance of your child. Don't do it. Not worth it. Doesn't please God. That's not an act of worship. Don't do it. Another quote from Ted Tripp. He says, Any change in behavior that is produced by such anger is not going to move your children toward God. It moves them away from God. It moves them in the direction of the idolatry of fearing man. Isn't that so true? They don't learn the grace of God through angry mom or angry dad. They learn, here's what you do so you don't make that person angry. And it, they learn to manipulate. They learn to manipulate the system. When a parent isn't focused on correcting a child, but instead punishing a child, what does that child do? Seeks to avoid punishment. You see this, in our, you see this among the children who grow up and they end up in our, our criminal system, in the court system. They learn to work the system. That's what we do with punishments. But, but parents are called to correct their children. Discipline means correction. It, Ted Tripp talks about in his book, giving them a Godward orientation in life. Not learning that whatever you do, don't disappoint me. That is so man-centered. But teaching them, your role in life is to serve God, and this is what God has said. And you correct their thinking. And you seek God to change their hearts, that true fruit would come forth. And then, of course, you've got some parents who are just more immature than their children are. <laughs> That's another way the manner of instruction is man-centered. Parents that are more immature than their children. What an embarrassment to the children. What an embarrassment to God. I've seen that so many times. I was thinking about it this morning, actually, as I was reflecting on my sermon, and we actually had some rain here. You know, this isn't this nice. You got puddles and stuff. And I was doing one of my favorite things, which is steering my car toward the puddle. And I love the splash, you know, isn't that so fun? I've loved it since I was a little kid. And I remember riding around with my dad, and we had this beat-up Jeep uh, Cherokee that we used for things. And we would ride around after a good Missouri rain. 
and he would hit those pedals or puddles, and there would be really big puddles, really deep ones, because the roads aren't very good, so you get those pools right in the middle of the road, you know, and you can just bang, hit those. And he never did that for as long as I wanted him to. Because, you know, as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid, it's always one more. I mean, because you can hit those big ones, and it comes up, and it's like you're Moses in the middle of the Red Sea, you know? It's like, whoa, this is awesome. But, you know, older people have wisdom. And they say, okay, well, that's enough. There's moderation. There should be moderation. There should be wisdom. And can you imagine if a parent just keeps going and going and going, and the child says, Dad, uh, I don't know about this. See what I mean? Parents who run the risk of being more immature... Uh, not good. That manner of instruction isn't good. Well, equally as grievous as anger-driven manipulation is, this immature manner of going about being an example to children, and both flow out of pride. But pitfall number two I want to talk about. So pitfall number one was the content and manner of instruction being man-centered. But pitfall number two, it's much quicker. Man-centered responses to sinful behavior. Man-centered responses to sinful behavior. And this, I particularly want to focus on avoiding confrontation because of pride. Parents who avoid confrontation with their children in pride. And this starts with a very simple thing. Refusing to admit that our children are sinners in need of change. When we start with that perspective, no, not, not my kids. I got good kids. Oh, if you only knew them like other people knew them, right? I've got good kids. Well, our children are sinners in need of change. And again, one, one final quote from Ted Tripp. This just sums it up really well. He says, everyone is essentially religious. Children are worshipers. Either they worship Jehovah or idols. They are never neutral. So our goal is to lead them to the one true God, isn't it? Our goal is to present to them the Lord of the universe to help them understand what it means to live before God, quorum Deo, to live before God, before the face of God. And if we refuse to admit that our children are sinners, we are never going to make any progress in leading them into godly living. If you think that your family is better than that, they're not. They're not. No family is above this. Every family has the potential of sin rising up and bearing rotten fruit. But some parents are not willing to risk humiliation through confrontation. If we confront this sin, other people have to know, and then it's a big ordeal at church, and yada, yada, yada. I can't do that. Remember the principle that we looked at in Deuteronomy 21, that parents must consider the holiness of God's family more importantly than their own family's feelings. When we care more about the family name than God's name. We don't confront sin that needs to be confronted. Or, for some parents, when we're just lazy and don't want to tackle the heart issue of the sin. That's a pitfall. That's a man-centered response to our children's behavior, isn't it? It's very man-centered. When parents become more focused on themselves than on God's desires, pride is impeding on the task. When it becomes more about our personal goals, our personal hopes, our preferences, and most certainly our egos, well, then it's not about serving God anymore, is it? Now, if you are still in Deuteronomy 21 and you've got a Bible with cross-references, I want you to look down and see 
verses 19 and uh, 20, you don't have any cross-references there. Maybe you do for 21, but you don't have any cross-references there that lead you to another place in the Bible where this played out in a narrative. I couldn't find one. I can't take you to 2 Chronicles 13 and show you where these two parents took their children to go do this. But it probably happened. It's there in the law. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this was like? Even though there was no example preserved for us in the text, we can still imagine that scene. Parents risking that humiliation, certainly sacrificing the feelings of their child, certainly sacrificing their own egos, but going through all of that to address sin and God's community. Well, let's look at the solution for us today. Remember, parenting with God's heart is the goal. (laughs) God has the perfect father's heart. For some people, calling God father is a bit jarring. (laughs) Saying that God is your father is like saying he's a really, really bad guy because some of you had really, really bad fathers. But God has the perfect father's heart. All the way back at the start of the service, Isaiah 43. If there was nothing else you got from that, You should have at least gotten, God is not like us. From all eternity, He has been been God. There will not be another God after Him. There's no God before Him. And one way that He shows that He is not like us is that He has a perfect, perfect disposition, always. Isn't that amazing? He has the perfect Father's heart. And it's not easy to parent with the Father's heart, but let me tell you this, it's not that complicated. (laughs) So, it's difficult. I'm not like downplaying the doing of it, but it's not that complicated. The first thing we need to concern ourselves with, and this is kind of countering those pitfalls I just spoke of, the first thing is godly instruction. If we are to avoid man-centered instruction, then we should pursue godly instruction. What does this mean? It means that our teaching, our instruction given to our children should always be based on biblical priorities. Biblical priorities. Now, that's not going to tell you the answer to every question that you ever have about parenting. But that's a start, isn't it? That's the only start you should have as a Christian. A biblical worldview. To have priorities that match with Scripture. To have desires that are godly for our children. That is what comes first. Godly desires. Aren't you thankful that God isn't a communist who told you what sort of school you should have gone to and what profession you should have had? Isn't that nice? Isn't that really nice? So as you reflect God's heart toward your children, that means not turning into a communist. (laughs) Please let that not be the only thing you hear today, but it's a good thing to hear, but there's, there's more important things today. What this also means is the gospel every day. The gospel every day for children. Isn't that a great goal? The good news every day to our children making the message of salvation paramount in our houses. Not which team we're going to root for in this big game today. That might be important to you and that's fine, but that's not paramount. Only one thing is paramount. It's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. And we need to make sure that our counsel is always rooted in Scripture and God's people. Our godly instruction that we give to children should always be rooted both in Scripture and the counsel of God's people. 
There should be no solo flesh wisdom on the difficult issues of life in this church. God gave us the gift of each other. Some days it feels more like a gift than others, I'm sure, okay? But He's given us the gift of each other. We're to help one another, pursuing wisdom. The community is involved. So even though we're not Israel, we're not stoning children at the city gate, God still has put you in a community, hasn't He? And we handle these things together, okay? Now the second aspect, parenting with God's heart, that I have for you today is loving relationship with our children. Pitfall two was man-centered responses to sinful behavior, and I want us to finish today by thinking about loving relationship with these children. It starts with, of course, confronting sinful behavior in truth. Okay? Loving relationship with children doesn't mean turning a blind eye. That's not love. That's not love. That harms children. It doesn't hurt the children, or it doesn't help the children. It harms them. So we confront sinful behaviors with truth. But here's our, our difficult endeavor that I spoke of earlier. We also do it with grace. Both truth and grace. Turn with me to Luke 15. This is where we'll finish today. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 15. And I want us to go to that famous passage of the prodigal son. You've heard this parable multiple times. You know the elements of it quite well, I'm sure. But as we look at it today, and we're talking about parenting, look at the parent that's in this parable. Keep your eye on the father, okay? As we go through this parable, I want you to look at the dad and his response to his son. Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read the whole parable straight through. Luke 15, starting at verse 11, it says, And he, Jesus, said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with his loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine." And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up. And came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 
I think that's quite remarkable. That father certainly responded with grace, didn't he? Do you see the unmerited favor bestowed on this prodigal son? Totally unmerited. What the son said was basically right. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the father says, let's have a party. That is some amazing grace. Well, there's a modern day version of this parable that was made by an author. I'll read it to you. And then I'll read what Randy Alcorn says in response to it. The parable goes like this. There was a girl with a nose ring and an attitude. (laughs) She rebelled against her parents, ran away, and became a drug-addicted prostitute in Detroit. The months go by. She sees the notice her parents put out on Facebook, but never bothers to tell her family she's alive. Then, two years later, she gets sick and desperate. Her pimp throws her out on the street. All other alternatives exhausted, she calls home. She leaves a voicemail, gets on public transit, and shows up at the bus station, figuring she'll scrounge a ride to her old house. As she steps off the bus, she finds herself greeted by 40 brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents, and her parents, (laughs) all wearing party hats, with a huge banner stretched out saying, Welcome home. Before she can finish saying, I'm sorry, her father murmurs, Hush, sweetheart, we'll talk later. We've got to get home to the party. There's a banquet waiting for you. Randy Alcorn says, in response to that, such abundant grace almost makes the parent look foolish, doesn't it? Looking foolish is a risk God willingly takes in extending us grace. We expect Him to extract His pound of flesh to make us grovel and beg, but He doesn't. Godly parenting doesn't ignore truth. It doesn't ignore grace. And this is our mission as stewards of God's love with children. Our children, our grandchildren, the children of this church. That's our goal. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have showed us such amazing grace. We are so undeserved, and yet you rejoice in showing us unmerited favor. You glory in showing us unmerited favor. Give us that heart toward children that we would pursue instruction that is godly, that is gospel first, and that we would pursue behavior in response to our children's behavior that exemplifies grace, not anger, not sin, not pride, but grace, just as you've shown us. What an amazing God you are. We ask that you would give us godly homes that reflect the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.